As Jeff describes it, Redefining Student Success is a beautifully dense book. We have been mining content and expertise to help our leaders turn the COVID corner and focus on what is most important, supporting students and their communities. As you will hear, authors Ken Kay and Susie Boss are laser-focused on providing a roadmap and examples for schools and districts to craft a portrait of a graduate and embedded efforts and strategies directly tied to their ultimate goals. As you will notice, Jeff loved this book, as well as his time with Ken and Susie. Enjoy. Well, hello, my name is Jeff Rose, and today I bring to you another leader chat. And as many of you may know, uh, my job is to support and lead what we call our leadership circle, this community of school district superintendents, but also executive team members from different places throughout the country and actually beyond. And the concept uh, is that we're connective tissue, that our job is to connect leaders to leaders based upon some of their ongoing and pragmatic challenges so they, they can support one another. And we have a system for that. However, what today is, it's called a leader chat. And every single week we bring you this content. The concept is to track what are some of the ongoing dilemmas and challenges and opportunities for our members and then provide this pragmatic, focused discussion that we think helps our members and beyond. Now, today is the first of many. Um, so for example, usually I interview one particular person, but we have two guests with us today, which will be um, a lot of fun. I'm gonna introduce them here in a moment. But the reason today is also really important is we are intentionally trying, it's not easy, to turn a corner. We are trying to push some content that is a little bit beyond just managing the chaos, which we need to continue to do because that is the dilemma our leaders are facing in the field is that they are navigating a lot of political challenges. However, today we're talking about can we we're trying to turn a corner to focus on instruction, kids, teaching, learning, etc. And so today, here any second, I'm going to be introducing Ken Kay and Susie Boss. First, let me briefly read through their bios and let you know um, kind of what we're getting into today. So the concept of today is redefining student success. Like I said, with Ken Kay and Susie Boss, they recently wrote Redefining Student Success, Building a New Vision to Transform Leading, Teaching, and Learning. So we're going to discuss some of the ideas they put forward in school and the transformation that they've described as education evolves in this new normal. So um, Ken, by the way, Ken Kay has been kind of at this for, for decades as an education provocateur promoting a new model of K-12 education for the 21st century. Most recently, he served as the CEO of Ed Leader 21, a professional learning community of more than 200 school districts from around the United States. Ken was the founding president of the Partnership for 21st Century Skills and executive director and CEO on the Forum for Education and Technology. Susie is a writer and education consultant from Portland, Oregon, my own stomping grounds, and she has been working to harness the power of teaching, learning, and storytelling to improve lives and transform communities. She has the privilege of collaborating with educators everywhere from India to Europe to South America. She works as PBL Works National Faculty and is emeritus, the longtime contributor to Edutopia. So at this point in time, let's invite our guest with us today, 
Um, I'm thrilled. It's great to see you, Ken and Susie. Thanks so much for engaging this discussion with us today. Wonderful to be here. Yeah, delighted to be with you. So I, I briefly read through your bios because we could have been here for too long, right? So how about this? Like one, what did I miss? And and maybe just walk us through, you know, the the impetus, the focus, the the why behind the book. But first, you know, what what did I miss? You know, talking about you and everything that you bring to uh, to this show today. Well, let's do this opposite. I'll tell you what you missed about Susie, and she can tell you what <laughs> what you missed about me. Susie really is one of the most highly respected experts in project based learning in the world. Um, I was on the board of PBL Works for almost a decade, and so I'm very familiar with project-based learning, and there is no better uh, consultant anywhere um, in getting uh, schools and districts to implement project-based learning than Susie Boss. So now it puts the pressure on Susie. Susie, I, I think Ken did an incredible job. Well, you know, Ken... Ken is such a well-known name. If you mention anything about 21st century learning, Ken Kay's name comes up because he helped define this whole movement that we've been uh, on now for you know two decades. Um, but he, he just has this really powerful ability to bring people together. Um, and I think that's how he's been able to build these strong networks over time and to continue to grow the good work. Okay, and he's so a lot of fun to work with. So you've both <laughs> proven that you know each other. Well done. Um, so now, now talk about, we're going to be talking about the, the content you bring forward in this book, but talk about it. What was the, you know, what was the, the push to do it, the why behind it? I want to know more. Yes. So, um, you know, I, I formally retired in uh, 2019, uh, just a few months before COVID hit. And so the year before that, I started talking to folks about a book. Um, to tell you the truth, the book that Susie and I wanted to initially write was a book for parents about 21st century learning. And we had trouble finding a, a publisher that was interested in working with us. And a few of the publishers said, you know, you guys are so well known in the leadership space and the community engagement space, uh, respectively. Uh, why don't you consider a, a, a book about leadership? So uh, that's how we... Um, uh, that's how we started working on the book. I called Susie because she had written a wonderful book on community engagement and had asked me to write the forward for it. And so when we worked on that, I knew how compatible our attitudes towards engaging communities in important conversations was. And that was an important starting point for this book. So that's the reason I approached her was that we had worked on this book on community engagement. I was so impressed with her and the book. Anything to add to that, Susie? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Most of my work has been at the classroom level, working with teachers on initiatives around school change and transformation through pedagogies like project-based learning and design thinking. And so when Ken approached me about this book, uh, you know, I'm not a, a leadership expert, but I know that the sorts of um, initiatives that are transformative, that do put students in a different role and give them that sense of agency over their learning and over their lives, they can't succeed unless leaders are on board. And I've seen wonderful initiatives get started at the grassroots and fizzle if there's a change of leadership or if the vision isn't compelling. So um, 
uh, I think we, we brought different perspectives, recognizing the same kind of problem of practice of how do you get leaders moving in this direction of a really bold vision uh, that, that uh, students can grow into. Uh, so uh, we brought different perspectives and, and teamed up and it's been a fabulous collaboration. Well, the, the one thing that was interesting for me going through the book was, um, you know, redefining student success. Uh, number one, it's, it's, it's very dense. It, it, dense in that there's so much information. This is not something you can skim through. So I want the, the listener to know this is something that um, is extremely practical. There are so many stellar examples. But in the meantime, there are really critical concepts that, have, that are mentioned. So it's not as though one chapter you'd say, well, I'll get to that chapter later. Over and over you bring up these things. So it was very engaging, but what surprised me about it is that I found it to be particularly bold at a time like this, and I'll tell you why. Um, the book doesn't wallow in any shape or form around what is current, uh, the current challenge and exhaustion, etc. It is about moving forward. You are talking about how we move forward. And so I'm curious about, um, did you have any sort of concerns or trepidation on how that would be listened to or read because of the state of mind of the educational leader right now? And, you know, um, maybe you can talk about what you're seeing, maybe even internationally in that. So, but let me jump there. Um, when we started, when we committed to the book, COVID hadn't happened yet. So we had a commitment to write a leadership book. And then as we were finalizing the agreement with Corwin, they said to us, uh, would you be willing and are you able to uh, incorporate the COVID experience into the book? And um, so as it turned out, we did 250 interviews for the book. And all of those interviews were, happened uh, three or four months after COVID began. And so every leader we talked to was looking at their vision and their work through the lens of COVID. Um, so what, what I would say was we actually became more emboldened because the transformative leaders we were interviewing were saying that their commitment to this vision made them more capable of coping with COVID. And it was setting their teachers and their leaders up for a post-COVID or, or if not post-COVID for whatever the, the, the transformation is beyond COVID, um, for success beyond uh, COVID and giving teachers and administrators who were really struggling during COVID a sense of hope that there was something better uh, on the other side. Yeah, and I, I think what I'd add to that um, is that the the school systems that seem most agile and adaptable to this, you know, monumental challenge were the ones that had invested in building a really healthy culture. So we, we spent a lot of time in the book focusing on how do you cultivate that culture, and we can talk more about that if you like, but the ones that had already done that hard work of um, building that culture, they were able to get people to, to make uh, moves in a hurry and, and to problem solve and to trust each other. So those seem to be really key takeaways um, from this big topic. The, um, there's, in the book, the portrait of a graduate, the POG, 
serves as uh, a touchstone, so to speak, um, right? It's, it's clearly a priority. And what's interesting about that, what I found interesting in the book, is, is, is not so much just the description and the importance of the portrait of a graduate, because um, I was aware of what that has been. That's not necessarily a brand new concept, but what you have done in the book so well is describe how really critical that is to serve as like the this this touchstone and the impetus for this systemic change. And so everything kind of follows or flows through that portrait of a graduate. So can you maybe talk about how that served as such an important anchor? Um, at least that's what I came away with reading the book. And you can maybe tell me how wrong I was. <laughs> Ken, I'm going to let you lead off on this one and then I'll jump in. Well, well, I, I, yes, I think it's no, you're, you're, you're spot on. Um, we think that uh, districts need a North Star to shoot for. And often in education, I've been watching this for 20 years, um, it's programmatic. It's, uh, oh, well, uh, well, actually, to take an example, it might be PBL. Well, let's try PBL. Well, PBL is a strategy. It's a pedagogy. It's not a destination for education. Um, the, the, so the, the portrait of a graduate is important, I think, for two reasons. One, it gets teachers, administrators, school board members, and communities to grapple with what is it we really want for our kids and what competencies and knowledge will prepare them for the lives they're going to lead. Uh, for for their personal lives, for citizenship, for work. Um, so, and then and then you're correct. Um, uh, uh, although I, I would argue right now, maybe only ten or twenty percent of the districts in the country have a portrait of a graduate. Um, so I don't think it's as widely adopted as as it should be at this point. But for some districts, it's just a piece of paper on the wall. Um, it, you know, it's, it, it, it really doesn't represent transformation. And what we were telling is the stories of districts that have taken that portrait of a graduate so seriously, the creative problem solving, the communication, the collaboration, that it ends up becoming in, uh, built into their strategic plan. It becomes built into their professional development. It's in their HR strategy. Um, and Susie will talk in a minute about how it's built into assessment and pedagogy. But the great districts that are taking this work are using it as, you say, a touchstone or a North Star to realign almost every aspect of the work that they're doing. And it's very inv invigorating. It's very inspiring to watch districts take these words or these concepts, these competencies, and turn them into major shifts in the way school is taught. And I, I, before I, the one thing I would say is what COVID has taught us is that the traditional model of memorization and top-down learning lectures is 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 a nullity. Um, it's been a nullity during COVID. It was, it, and 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 COVID has actually shown a spotlight on how ineffective that is in motivating our students and creating pub, uh, compelling education. And what we're looking for, the reason I think you're right that this is such a great moment, is that as districts are beyond struggling with COVID and deathly tired of COVID, the way out is to embrace a compelling vision that creates something better 
than the memorization model that most of us are, are mired in. Yeah, yeah. And if I could add a little to that, uh, you know, one of the thought leaders, we talked to with lots of district superintendents, um, teachers, parents, students, but we also spoke with some thought leaders in education for their perspective. Um, Jay McTie, who's known for his work with understanding by design and uh, all of the great work he's done around rethinking assessment over the years, when he spoke with us about the portrait of a graduate, uh, what resonated with me was he said, you know, this is a major backward design move. You're starting with the end in mind, which is what a good teacher does in instructional design. And then you're backward planning. What are the steps we need to take all throughout our system to get there? So I think that was a really key uh, uh, metaphor for me to help understand the importance of the portrait for realigning your whole system. So I don't know how I'm going to form this into a question. Let, let me, let me just, uh, there's a comment. I want to stay with this uh, concept for a minute. One thing that's interesting and probably frustrating for me, I, I have what I call a healthy state of ambiguity around this because I guess on, on one hand, I'm excited for the future because I think it's a prime opportunity to, to push towards some change that we probably have needed for a long, long time. In the meantime, I'm uh, seeing this pressure that is um, accumulating for leaders to go back and to go back to once what was, you know, what, what people thought was comfortable. This concept of since there had been learning loss, we need to go help those kids catch up. And to catch up, sometimes they're following back into the, what we already knew were the worst instructional practices, going back to Ken's point on memorization and facts and so forth. So we're just adding time of poor instruction for a lot of kids. So my concern is I see a prime opportunity to create a North Star, what do we want to be known for as a school system? We want to be known for the kinds of people and students that we produce so that they're prepared to navigate this complex world as opposed to right educating them according to our past, as we know. But in the meantime, this pressure that leaders are facing on how do we make sure that we catch up to where we once were um, and potentially get a place to where people are just comfortable again. Do you experience that in some of the systems and some of what you're seeing, or um, maybe you can just make some comment on, on maybe my worries? Sure, I would just jump in with with one observation. I was in a uh, conversation similar to this, you know, a week or so ago, and it, some really smart educators were talking about just what you're saying that is this pressure to overcome learning loss going to put us back into a worksheet driven, test driven, you know. Um, emphasis where we don't get to do anything else but drive up test scores again. And one of the smart educators I was talking with said, you know, nobody's paying attention to the learning leaps that is that have also happened. So some students have been able to, you know, make some headway, make some gains. And it seems to me that here's this opportunity to get serious about a more personalized approach um, to instruction and assessment, meeting students where they are, wherever they're starting, helping them make gains and focus on growth instead of holding everyone, um, you know, if you're, if you're emphasizing yesterday's metrics and everybody's got to meet them, that means a lot of your kids who are ready to go further are going to be still doing the same old uh, worksheet stuff and being disengaged and bored. So I think we need to think differently about how do we help all students grow regardless of where they're starting um, and making that forward movement toward those goals that, that we agree as a community are really important. I, I remembered 
in the depths of COVID, getting a call from my daughter-in-law and saying, you know, we're we're watching uh, our son, my grandson, um, doing online learning. And I never realized before this how non-self-directed he is. He's a good student in a good school, but he's not motivated outside of the motivation of the teacher. And what COVID really has underscored, I think, should have underscored for all of us, is that this idea that we're going to survive all the challenges we have in front of us with a set of non-self-directed kids is a nullity again. It's just not gonna happen. And you, you sit there and you look at all this stress, all the backlash, all the community conflict in some communities, and you gotta sit back and go, are we going to, what are we going to do to prepare our kids to deal with the current moment better than we are? Right, right. That's really, that's really the challenge. Right. And one more point I think that COVID has really brought up, there's more attention now on students' overall well-being, their social and emotional health than we've ever had before. And I think, again, this is something that's long overdue, um, long needed, but COVID has really uh, brought that into, you know, crystal clear uh, focus. And, and we have a, a, there's a toolkit to, to work on that and, and ways that schools can address that, which, you know, we can talk about more. We saw some good examples of that. But I think that's another piece of this puzzle that that is falling into place, that, that this is something uh, leaders and school systems recognize. They've got to attend to the overall wellness of their students. Susie, can you mention the, the toolkit a little bit? Can you expand upon that? Well, I think organizations like like Council have been uh, the holders of, of learning about social and emotional uh, wellness, social and emotional well-being for a long time. Um, I've been working with some international schools uh, that, are, that are focused on the same issues, and they are coming up with some um, assessment tools to gauge what is the how are our kids doing? How are they doing them? You know, with surveys and attitudes and school climate sorts of, of resources. Um, and I think we also have some really good instructional strategies around how do you check in on your kids? How do you get kids in a calm place where they're ready to learn? Um, how do you find out what those additional needs are that, that might not show up in, you know, math class third period, but might be limiting students' capacity to really engage. Um, and some of the districts that we talked with during COVID did a really great job of, of thinking about that wraparound. Um, what are the, all the ways that students might be struggling? What are the services we have that, you know, we have um, connections to a larger community than our own you know, school system, we can connect students with services if we know what they need. And so some, some schools were really thoughtful in um, making sure each student kind of had a, an adult paying attention to, you know, what might this family need? How, how might we connect them with support in doing the sorts of check-ins um, that, that really enabled students to thrive? One, uh, you know, one other example I can think of, a, a, a bold teacher, math teacher friend in, in um, Oklahoma, um, had her students focus on 
how do we need to be supported to thrive during COVID? And the students came up with recommendations that they presented to the school board, um, backed by evidence that they had gathered through surveys and data. So I think we have tools available, including our students themselves as problem solvers, if we're willing to think about our students' social and emotional well-being as central to the learning um, future you know, ahead of them. Okay, Ken and Susie, you're already making me feel better, right? I've brought these dilemmas, and it's <laughs> like uh, it's like <laughs> it's like scholarly, uh, you know, uh, support or therapy. So here, here's here's a dilemma. The, when I was a, a, a principal as well as a superintendent, one thing that I always found to be a challenge is I would see these pockets of excellence, things that were very impressive, whether it be in a particular classroom or a particular school. However, say as a superintendent. My goal was not that we had pockets of excellence, but we had you know, this, this collection throughout our district so that all of our students could experience um, levels of innovation and enthusiasm specific to their learning. I would say that you know, we're, not, we're, we're not a system of schools, we are a school system, and there's a difference. And always trying to find what I consider this healthy balance of autonomy and fidelity. It's not either. It's how do we create this balanced approach aligned to what we want to be known for. Now, in the book, there are so many incredible examples, which I was thrilled to see because it's pragmatic. It describes, look, there are places that are doing this, right? They're called field trips, I believe, in the book. So how do you balance these incredible examples, these pockets of excellence, and what we know is a challenge that pockets, it's not enough in terms of wanting to look at the overall system of whether it be a district or a county or a state. So maybe um, what do you ever think that do you ever, are you frustrated by this sometimes dabbling in an innovation and what, what's your standpoint on that? Well, one of the things that emerged in the book um, from your, as you say, from the field trips is we started talking to teachers and superintendents about when they had done something magnificent, like one teacher in, in Colorado uh, created a field trip for 200 students to go down and test the water of a lake that had been closed and to try to get the kids to work with the local city to recommend improvements um, that would, that would restore the, uh, the, the lake to a usable lake. But when we asked the teacher and the principal, how did you know to experiment on this? And how did you know that, that your principal would have your back? And how did you know that uh, your superintendent would have your back? Uh, we emerged with this notion of, well, uh, my, my principal had given me a green light to innovate and experiment. And um, uh, I, we asked the principal, how did she know to do that? And she said, well, my superintendent had given me the green light to experiment and innovate. So one of, we, one of the questions we ask in the book that we want your leaders to ask of themselves and of their district is, are they giving the green light for important innovation and experimentation? Do, kid, do students uh, know and do teachers know that they have the green light to experiment and innovate. And then it's the leader's job to be clear. It's We're not looking for all experimentation and innovation. We're looking for experimentation and innovation to implement our common vision. So just last point here, you really alluded to this, but it's sort of the um, how you lead 
tight and loose. The tightness is that everybody is dedicated towards reaching this North Star of a portrait of a graduate. Every student in our district will be a creative problem solver, a good communicator, an effective collaborator, self-directed learner. And then each school, each school leader and their teachers are gonna work to implement that individually with some freedom to innovate and experiment, but with a shared goal. So the tightness is around the vision of what every kid's gotta have when they graduate our district. And the looseness is, is that you give your teachers and your administrators, your principals, a green light to experiment and innovate their way to those outcomes. Well said, well said. Okay, so um, I mentioned, I mentioned the, the early on that this, you know, that what, what, you what you've been describing is, is, is beautifully dense, right? I think that you've shown in the book that there are these bold leaders um, and you've provided almost this roadmap that, that leaders can take to become more bold, right? This concept of a green light is mentioned over and over in a number of ways. And so um, what advice do you have for leaders as they kind of maybe uh, embrace this concept of, of a green light on how they create balance on uh, motivating those that uh, they work with, at the same time helping them through what is a clear exhaustion that they're also uh, experiencing every day, right? A green light takes a lot of energy, right? So um, what's your advice for leaders to enthusiastically promote at the same time, ensure that um, we're taking care of the, just the overall emotional needs of educators simultaneously? Right. Right. Well, I'll jump in with a, a couple thoughts. I mean, one thing we heard from teachers themselves is how much they appreciate the right kind of support uh, from leaders. Uh, I remember one one social studies teacher uh, talking about how, you know, we don't need cheerleading <laughs> from leaders. We need access to things we need to learn more about. So maybe we need professional development. Maybe we need more time for our PLC to work together. Uh, we need that kind of focused support uh, that we know as adult learners is going to help us uh, on the path to supporting our students as learners. So I think checking in with your teachers, trusting your teachers, that's something we heard from, I think, some of our boldest leaders is trust your teachers. They really are the experts in learning. They really do know your students well. That's their job to build those relationships and know your students and what's going on with them. So building from that trust, find out what they need and engage them uh, in, in the, the learning that, that needs to happen. You know, you can't transform probably without some kind of adult learning happening within the system. And the best ones to be hands-on with that adult learning and to design it and lead it and make sure it's effective are, that's your, your teaching staff and your instructional coaches and, and all those folks. And I think the second thing I would add that we heard um, over and over again is, um, you know, a, a bold leader is a good storyteller. Uh, they know how to, to notice when great things are happening, how to share those examples, 
we call them field trips, but we, we heard about a lot of those examples. We would interview a leader and they'd say, oh, who you need to talk to is XYZ student or teacher who just did something fantastic. Let me put you in touch with them. So being that that conduit from the, the theory, where are we trying to go as a system to the actual, here's what's happening. Here's how change is happening and, and the benefits to our students and our community. Those are a couple things that stood out for me. I love this question because you, I think you've captured the moment, the need of the moment, which is you got to be compassionate. You have to have empathy for the struggles that we're all going through. If you start without that, you lose everybody at the get-go. So those leaders that don't have compassion and don't have empathy for what their system is going through, uh, you know, don't, don't begin a vision journey without of fully embracing and 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 fully appreciating uh, the struggles that that your team is currently in the middle of. But uh, working with organizations here in Tucson and talking to other leaders around the country and asking them the question you've asked: Is this the right moment for some vision? Is this the right moment for our team to see beyond the current crisis? All the really bold envisioned leaders have said absolutely this is a time to double down on the vision because people want to know that there's something beyond that is going to be better and the other thing that i would say with this i thought about this earlier in the conversation i know uh, uh, folks have have are, are in the middle of so much community uh, chaos and polarization right now and the answer is, is therefore you want to run away from any conversations. You can't do that. Um, but the question is, are there unifying conversations? And I would say to you that with very few exceptions, and I know you know of a couple, but with very few exceptions, the conversation with your teachers, with your students, with your parents, with your business leaders, with your community leaders around where do we want this education system to be? And what are the competencies that this crisis and the future necessitate for our kids? What are the competencies they have to have to be successful and happy as citizens, as, as, as individuals? Um, those are conversations that are generally unifying and, and people appreciate being asked, well, we're in this current morass, but what are the competencies we need to be heading toward and that we're prepared as a district to be part of? Uh, that's generally a unifying conversation and it's actually, in my view, an antidote to the, to the possibility of just wallowing in the current uh, conundrum we're in or the current pain that we're all in. So I think bold leaders, I think great leaders will see the moment as a twin test of their ability to be empathetic and their ability to offer a future um, that is brighter and bolder and more responsive to the needs of students in the community. And, and I ask that question because that is this, and I don't know if you've received this, this uh, feedback yet, but that is the spirit of what I read. I, I read that there was a sensitivity towards uh, what an educator is working through. And there is an opportunity in front of us. That opportunity is one that um, I hope leaders hear and grasp as opposed to letting the exhaustion just overwhelmed when their goal is to tread water. Treading water just to try to keep our, our head above surface makes it really difficult to be visionaries and see to the horizon. What you're asking us to do is 
of course, let's pay attention, as you described, to the needs of our educators. And let's look to the horizon, especially now more than any other time, which I think people are ready to hear. People are ready to talk about our kids. I all think we're getting exhausted by this political polarization and the fact that it's all landing in the laps of educational leaders and school boards across the country and to your point, Susie, and beyond. So that is the spirit of what I read and I appreciate you articulating in such a way. Now, I will tell you that the majority of our processes in the leadership circle is actually not talking at leaders. This is the one thing that we do, which is providing content. So let's just pretend for a moment, if we're at a round table, because we say circles are better than rows, a quote I stole from my pastor, and let's pretend that we are sitting around a table with a group of superintendents, assistant superintendents, directors, et cetera, who have these you know, very large responsibility for thousands upon thousands of kids. What, what would be your pragmatic advice? What would you just want to leave them with? What would you kind of your last, here, is, here are my words of wisdom that I want you to make sure you, you put in your pocket and take to the bank? Yeah. Oh, that's such a great question. Um, you know, I, I'm reminded of, of one of the uh, uh, bold leaders we talked with who had led his very high poverty, high challenge district through a period of rapid transformation. Um, and what he reminded us, uh, we were developing some, just a little side note, we were developing some discussion guides for communities to use, districts to use with their parents and with their teachers. And we'd written this big dense thing. And he said, you know, first of all, our focus group, our students, our parents said, make it shorter, make it crisper, use some visuals. But he said, remember, the first thing is that parents love their kids and they hope for a better future. And so I think remembering the hopefulness of education as a starting point, uh, hope is a muscle that needs uh, constant work, I think, and, and workouts, and it gets stronger the more you use it. So I think remaining hopeful, which is what brings most of us into education. You don't come into education as a pessimist or you're in the wrong field. It's all about the hopefulness of working with young people. So I think tapping back into that at this moment when we've been so challenged, that might be a breath of fresh air. Well, I... I will take you up, I love those thoughts, Susie. I will take you up, Jeff, on your challenge to be very pragmatic. So I am gonna be amazingly pragmatic. We're sitting here in February. You as a leader have the possibility by September, October, to begin a conversation with your community about the future of education in your district. And I would challenge you to, if you don't have a portrait of a graduate, use this coming fall to engage your community, your parents, your business leaders, your school board, others in the community, in a conversation about beyond memorization that the state may require, what are the competencies that we in this community believe are necessary for our students? And I don't, I don't want you to leave 2022 without having that vision in place. And it's not too late at all to think about what if we had that community conversation next fall and went into 2023 with a better understanding of what is it that we're unified around to move the conversation forward in our community. So that would be my pragmatic challenge. And those districts that do have a portrait of a graduate, I would just ask you during COVID, 
most districts found that it they didn't get as far along in implementing it. So I would have you look at this summer to do the professional development so that next fall you can do deeper implementation of your portrait of a graduate. So those would be my pragmatic hopes. And I think that, that those steps will put you in a place where you're bringing your team together around something positive uh, that will impact your community and impact all of your educators in a way that's uh, constructive and offers a real antidote and a real uh, uh, to, the, to, the, to the current uh, languishing of our educational systems. Well said, Ken. And, and to your point, Susie, you know, the, I, I would agree that parents, they, they do want what's best for their kids. And I was reminded recently in a roundtable discussion where one of, our, um, one of our members was frustrated with some adult behavior. Um, and another leader reminded her by saying, well, that anger that you're experiencing, it's better than apathy, isn't it? Right? Because, because they do care, right? They, right. They're expressing it. And how we leverage yeah. that to maybe a more important discussion, such as what do we want for our kids, as opposed to maybe a, a pro or anti-mask debate. But, um, you know, Ken and Susie, this is what I hope for. This is the, the conversation that I'd hope for is providing um, inspiration and content for leaders to hear almost permission, uh, a promotion to move forward with what is kind of our why as educators, as opposed yeah. to just navigating chaos. We need to help them move. Um, and I, I want to thank you for this. Thank you for this opportunity. And talking to you both at the same time is a thrill for me. I'm having a blast. <laughs> well, thanks Jeff, for the invitation. Yeah, it's been great. Well, Jeff, can I just say, I don't think anybody has given our book a better, more thorough reading than you did. And I just want to compliment you and thank you for really, I think, understanding as well as anyone what we were trying to accomplish and helping us uh, bring it to light. So we're very grateful to you for for your leadership. Oh, thanks. I, I, I had a blast and I earmarked the heck out of it. And there's, um, <laughs> my wife gets really mad at me when I abuse books by putting, you know, I bending and so forth. Um, so she would definitely disapprove, but I, I had a blast. And so uh, once again, thank you for that. And um, oh, this leader chat's been, been great. And I know that I'm not the only one. Um, our members will appreciate it as well. So once again, thank you both. Great. Thanks so much for your time and to your network. Wonderful. Okay, thanks. Great. Thanks so much. Ladies and gentlemen, um, I, I assume that you got um, inspiration from that as, as I did. Um, and I hope that you walk away feeling um, that permission to feel promoted to take advantage of this opportunity. And it is an opportunity, despite how tired I know, um, exhausted I know how, how you are. Um, you're doing noble work and anything we can do to help you pursue what the reason you got into this in the first place um, is our goal. So ladies and gentlemen, leaders, be well. <laughs>